Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's the day before Thanksgiving, 2020. Hope all of you are doing well. Hope all of you maybe get off work a little early today. Get that turkey ready. All that good stuff. And uh, I'm sure every podcast you hear uh, around this time, they always, you know, they always, well, we always start with, hey, what you making for Thanksgiving? You know, small talk and all that. So I'm going to briefly have small talk about Thanksgiving and then I'm, I'm rolling forward. Because I missed yesterday, and just honestly, guys, uh, you know, I, I covered the search when Muschamp was um, hired, uh, along with John Whittle and Tony Morrell, and we, we had it every step of the way. But you know, those guys kind of took it, you know, from like uh, October forward because it was Tom Herman, Kirby Smart, Tom Herman, Kirby Smart, and then I had about a week's worth of busy stuff to do because. Um, I sort of got tipped off from one of my sources about the Muschamp situation. And so then I kind of got involved. I wasn't as involved as those guys to begin with. But this time, uh, yours truly, uh, this has been quite a uh, quite a feat. Uh, my phone hasn't stopped ringing. I did record a J.C. and Morgan podcast yesterday. That is up. We do talk briefly about the South Carolina job in it and also talk about the SEC and college football in general. Uh, that is already up with myself and Mike Morgan from ESPN and the SEC Network. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get right to it. Georgia, South Carolina. All right, so this game every year is a big game. It uh, you, you look back, even last year, South Carolina didn't think they had much of a chance coming off a win over Kentucky. They go down there and win in double overtime. Uh, this is the least amount of traction this game has gotten during the game week uh, that I have seen probably in my lifetime. Um, number one, it's it's much later than it normally is. So, you know, I don't know if maybe there – in some years, if there had been a Georgia-Carolina game this late, you know, maybe it's the same kind of wah, 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 wah. But, uh, you know, there was more excitement before the 2015 Clemson game with Sean Elliott coaching as an interim than this one. And, and I don't think it's the people aren't excited about the game because I think – there's been like a huge sigh of relief. Mike mentioned this on JC and Morgan that, you know, normally you'd hear the Gamecock fans losing to Missouri at home, you know, griping, and there'd be a lot of angst and consternation. And he said there wasn't. People were just relieved because uh, they knew that uh, change was a coming, and it certainly is. Uh, but still, Georgia is one of South Carolina's big games every year. And, you know, you, you want to try to do your best just like against Missouri. Uh, and I think a lot of people are excited about seeing, you know, Luke Doty on the field again. I, I think that was just a, such a big deal. Um, and, and not so much that, you know, Colin Hill has been struggling because I, I, I don't agree that he struggled against Ole Miss. Uh, I think any quarterback you would have played in that game would have had to have been perfect. He made two crucial errors, really three if you count the overthrow to Nick Muse, but Overall, really good game for him as far as what they were trying to do uh, to stay in it. About bad game against A&M, so-so to poor game against LSU. Really, his internal clock issue started against Auburn. Um, you know, and so I don't, I don't buy into this he's been terrible all year thing. 
you're never going to get me to say they made a mistake sticking with him because I know what they were trying to do. I don't know why they stuck with him. It has nothing to do with favoritism or the fact that he played for Bobo at Colorado state and, and Bobo, you know, personally likes the kid, you know, Mike Bobo doesn't do that. I mean, that's just not something that coaches do. Um, you know, Mike Bobo doesn't have blinders on um, Colin Hill. You know, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Mike Bobo tried to set Ryan Holinsky up to win the job before the Ole Miss game. Um, and he just couldn't do it, you know. And and, and so they got Doty as part of the game plan or whatever. But, you know, I, I think with Doty, you know, if you're going to make a move, you know, if, considering Ryan Holinsky struggles running the offense and, you know, Ryan's not – a guy that can give you that extra dimension with his legs. I think he moves better than, than Hill certainly. And he's not totally a statue back there. Uh, but, but I think, you know, without shy Smith, with all the players injured, your chance uh, to compete in this football game and really in the next one uh, is to have a guy that can improvise and make things happen. And we've, we've seen that in, in football before uh, over the years, we saw it with Steve Spurrier and Savelle Newton, that was more a function of the O-line and Blake Mitchell sort of struggling. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you saw that, you know. I think, you know, you could go to the movie any given Sunday and you can see that too. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of how it goes. And Luke Doty gives you that spark and that chance. So, you know, based on what I've heard, I fully expect him to start. That's not 100%. Um, I, I do understand the, you know, the, hey, Georgia – you know, probably, has, you know, has film on him now and they're going to try to design something up. But, look, here's the bottom line. Even if Georgia knows, you know, hey, this guy's going to run and, 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 you know, we need to get ready, you know, th- that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, you know, their their plan is going to work because when a play breaks down, you know, those aren't necessarily called runs. You know, it's a pass play and then Doty sees an opening and goes. And that's what gives you an advantage when you have a guy like that. So I, I think that's South Carolina's chance to kind of stay in the game. You know, there's a lot of guys that are injured and questionable on Saturday, especially on defense. Georgia looks like it's found its quarterback in JT Daniels. You know, they didn't even really run the ball all that well against Mississippi State. They just kind of threw it and, you know, good for them. So it's going to be a challenge for the defensive backfield. Um, going to have to play some Iron Man back there in the secondary. Um, so, so it's, it's going to be tough, but, you know, I think if this team can capitalize on the good feelings, you know, from Saturday in the second half, when they sort of rallied the troops, you know, you go and you just take your shot at Georgia and play the best you can. And if you lose, you lost to a really good football team. Um, and you know, who knows, stranger things have happened in terms of winning. Sometimes Georgia, shows up and they don't look like they want to play that day. And I think that's what's it's going to take some help from the dogs too uh, this weekend. So, you know, Kirby Smart and his crew are coming in Saturday night. I, I don't know about you guys. I almost feel like well, I, I would feel better if it were a day game for some reason. Um, and maybe it's because it's Thanksgiving weekend and, and, you know, you kind of associate Thanksgiving weekend with daytime football to a certain extent, but it's not. It's prime time, williams Bryce Stadium. Uh, 7.30. So, you know, we'll see kind of how it goes with Georgia and Carolina this weekend. But certainly, you know, I, I think that just watching Doty and seeing him develop and, and seeing how the players respond, you know, regardless of the outcome, it, it's reason to watch the game and care. And like I said, 
you know, last week was probably the most relaxed, you know, the last two weeks, the most relaxed I've been watching a Carolina football game. And I know that there's been a lot of uptightness and angst uh, watching the team over the years, especially during this recent slide. So we'll see what happens. Lots happened yesterday in the coaching search. Uh, and actually, since we talked last, uh, you know, on the bigspur.com, I reported uh, President Caslin was sort of digging in on Army head coach Jeff Monken. That's a name we've all heard from the start. That's a name that, you know, three or four sources had, had talked to me about. But I, I just – I was in, I guess, disbelief, you know, that that would even be an option, even with him – you know, saying, I'll bring another OC. I don't have to run the option, whatever. Cause well, then why do you hire Jeff Monken if you're not going to run the option? I mean, it's just, I, I just, I just don't know that that's a fit. And like I said, I have uh, great respect for the United States military Academy, uh, West point, the job they do, our military in general, those kids that go to school there, that football program and that football team. Um, I'm not discounting anything Jeff Monken has done in his career, I think he's a hell of a coach. I just don't think he's the right coach for South Carolina. And quite frankly, any SEC team um, besides Vanderbilt. I think if you're Vanderbilt, you're getting a certain level of athletes anyway, and you go try to go head-to-head uh, or be Stanford or whatever, that, that's just not going to work. That's why Derek Mason's not working. Um, you know, so, so you can see them going, all right, we're 14th out of 14 every year. Um, let's go try something different and run the option. And they can recruit kids like that, you know. I mean, it, you know, do what Georgia Tech did, quite frankly. So, um, you know, and for them, you know, I, I don't know that going through a period of the option like it happened at Tech as the game changed and evolved with recruiting and stuff like that in the ACC, um, you know, I, I don't think Vanderbilt – you know, would suffer that bad. Yeah, you know, maybe they stay on it. You know, maybe they're like, well, we run the option here. And, you know, I think that's their chance, you know. Um, but Vandy's a different level program than, than South Carolina, you know. I, I, and, and quite frankly, you know, South Carolina's got more going for it as a program than Georgia Tech, even though Georgia Tech has a wonderful history that, you know, quite frankly, their administration just pooped all over with the Paul Johnson thing. And now they're in a five-year hole. You know, Georgia Tech really should be a top four or five job in the ACC, up there with where they're located, their tradition. Somehow they're in Midtown Atlanta and they make a big-time college atmosphere work when they're winning. And the Paul Johnson era just sucked the life out of that program. I mean, the life, even locally in Atlanta, you know, and and, and that sucks for them. But you got to avoid that, you know. You can't trade five to seven wins – ha-ha, we surprise people with the option or whatever uh, with, okay, after this is over and our, our offensive and defensive talent, because defensive guys don't want to come there because they don't want to play against it in practice and get cut blocked. Offensive guys don't want to play in it because it has nothing to do with them getting to the next level, which a lot of the great players want to do. Um, and so you end up with Southern Conference-level talent across the board. Uh, and I know some of you out there feel like, well, Muschamp has Southern Conference-level talent at Carolina, but that's just not true. <laughs> you want to see Southern Conference-level talent? Go look at Georgia Tech. Uh, and Jeff Collins has worked minor miracles for them to even win anything, you know, in his first couple of years. So there's that uh, with the triple option and 
the mocking thing. So I report that. Three hours later, I get a text saying, all right, he's backed off of it. Because <laughs> apparently some of you out there expressed your concerns along with other people that, you know, have some, you know, put a bug in people's ear. And so the mocking thing was over. Well, then yesterday, you know, different source, same connection. President really is looking hard at Scott Satterfield. Now, look, I'm not anti-Scott Satterfield. You know, I, I'm anti, I would be anti-Jeff Mocking, you know, with, with, you know, the understanding that I have great respect. You know, Scott Satterfield's been a guy that, you know, I think if the job had come open last year, you know, after what he did at Louisville and his connections to the area, I think he'd be a leading candidate. But you, you heard his name not mentioned as prominently when the job opened. And then checking behind the scenes, what I was told was, you know, from the agent end of things that he's trying to get in the mix, doesn't have a lot of traction. Well, then it seemed like maybe he had caught Caslin's eye. Uh, I don't know that to be a fact that it had anything to do with the fact that Monken and he were, you know, in the SoCon slash Sunbelt when Monken was at Georgia Southern. But, you know, when you look at it, the um, it's a, uh, a situation where, you know, you start to dig in and you start to talk to people and you sort of wonder about recruiting and things of that nature because, you know, you, you got to be able to recruit. Now, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And Scott Satterfield's recruited very well uh, at App State. But, you know, they were App State, a national championship winning program, and they just – they'd sit around on one end and, and wait for, you know, players to kind of fall to them from the FBS level. Or, or the uh, Power Five level, whoever you know, they go get the guys in South Carolina that South Carolina Clemson passed on, uh, or they'd go, you know, find the best guy committed to South Carolina State or, or, or Charleston Southern or wherever and swipe him because they were at. Um, I think at Louisville, it's that same kind of resourceful. I don't want to say scavenger recruiting, but it is. You know, Louisville when they're good, they're going down to South Florida, knocking it out the park. You know, they're, they're getting their share of the in-state kids. They're evaluating well. Uh, and, and I think that that style fits. At South Carolina, I think you need that for, to a certain extent. But I think you also need to be able, you know, to get involved and win, you know, three or four big-time battles every cycle. And, and you got to also hold off, you know, your, your peer programs. I mean, you, you don't need to be losing a bunch of kids to North Carolina or Tennessee. Uh, you know, that are right, uh, you know, right, you know, kids that are in your backyard don't need to be crossing the state border and going there. Um, you don't need to be losing in-state guys to Virginia Tech. You don't need to be losing in-state guys really to Florida, even though I wouldn't say Florida is necessarily a peer program. Um, you know, you, you need to you need to kind of tighten that up. Uh, don't need to lose guys from Georgia Tech. You need to go in and be able to beat Georgia Tech in Georgia on a kid. You know, and then you need to have the chops to get into a battle, you know, with Clemson and Georgia, Alabama uh, on a kid that makes sense and win that battle, you know. Uh, and, I, and I think with Will Muschamp's recruiting, because people are, well, he didn't recruit all that well. No, he wasn't. He, that, he did all that, uh, with the exception of this year when the in-state, you know, you had to plug the leak in the in-state dam this time. But uh, – you know, he, he won some battles, also got, you know, held off the Georgia Techs of the world or whatever. The problem with, with Muschamp recruiting is there's certain positions, you know, and it's, it's eerie 
how kind of similar it was to Florida where, you know, if you if you circled something in red at Florida when he left, it was the offensive line. Jim McElwain talked about only having four offensive linemen or whatever. Um, you know, and you look at receiver at South Carolina now, and, and it's baffling because if anything, the state of South Carolina puts out really good receivers just about every cycle if you look around college football. Um, so there was some recruiting malpractice there. But I think in general, you know, the talent level, there are less holes than what Spurrier left. You know, I mean, Spurrier left a hole at quarterback, you know, that's, that's and, and receiver. I mean, there was there was one guy really coming back at receiver. That was Debo Samuel. Um, and that's a good one. But to that point, Samuel had just been hurt, you know, the whole time. You hadn't seen much out of him. Hayden Hurst was a guy they had to convert to tight end. You know, the running back room was, you know, ended up with some overachievers like A.J. Turner and Mondenson, who got better as time went on, and, and A.J. especially right away. But there's no, you know, there's a reason Rico Dowdle took over as the starter, um, you know, pretty quick as a true freshman. And they had to play Brian Edwards and Chavis Dawkins and those guys. You know, so, so I think there are less holes. Uh, you know, on the roster this time around. Now, the caveat to all that is you got the new transfer rule uh, where kids are going to be eligible immediately. That can work both ways. You could see a bunch of guys leaving, a bunch of guys coming. Uh, it's going to be a fun offseason, and it's going to be a challenge, you know, especially with everybody getting your red shirt, you know, because, you know, everybody now that's playing college football you know, even if they're in like the rare sixth year, they can come back for a seventh. Um, and, and and you don't know exactly how the NCAA is going to have waivers for roster space. So there, there might be some guys that are really good players that get forced out, you know, that are out there. Um, so, so we'll see. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be wild this off season, no matter who the coach is. But back, right, so I got off on a tangent, but Satterfield um, and, and look, I think with certain decision makers, the Monken news caused a five-alarm fire. Opinions obviously were split with Satterfield after digging in on him a little bit recruiting-wise. You know, I had some questions about that part of it. Um, and then, then you saw the Louisville. You know, you had a report out there that kind of made the rounds. You saw the Louisville AD come out with his statement, and Satterfield himself came out with the statement that said, "You know, I'm. It was not." as committal as if I were a Louisville person, I would have liked because it basically didn't come out and say, I'm not interested in the job. Uh, I'm staying with Louisville. Uh, but you know, that he walked right up to that ledge. So, you know, I, I think as far as the momentum meter goes, you can drop him down a couple of notches. Uh, I also kind of have been talking around, you know, folks at Carolina. And so not sure he's the guy uh, today. Dave Clawson from Wake Forest name come up name has come up. I uh, I've heard this now from two or three people. Uh, I think he's a guy you can probably put him right on the like on the Neil Brown area, uh, where you know West Virginia has no fear that they're going to lose Neil Brown. Uh, but I do think there's been some interest through back channels. Uh, I do think Dave Clawson would probably take the South Carolina job considering he's at Wake Forest coaching his butt off and, you know, it's hard to, to, to really get it rolling up there. Um, but, but I think he's a guy that, that you can kind of see gaining some momentum here in the next couple of weeks. I, I don't know that he'll be the favorite or the higher, 
but uh, that's kind of a new name that I expected, quite frankly, to hear Dave Clawson's name early, and I didn't. So uh, he wasn't even listed on the Vegas odds, but, you know, it makes sense. You know, he's overachieved uh, at Wake. He's done more with less. You know, they're exciting on both sides of the ball. I think, you know, when you just talk about recruiting, they're very resourceful and can make good evaluations, you know, especially in the Carolinas, um, uh, you know, D-line, et cetera. So, you know, Dave Clawson from Wake, you know, uh, roll him up. Well, you know, put him on the board. Last time Carolina hired a coach named Dave from Wake, it was Dave Odom. So how about that? Shane Beamer continues to be the topic of discussion. Um, I, I think when you look at this, there, there's a lot of networking that's gone on, and rightfully so. I think, you know, I've explained why Shane Beamer is a very good candidate for the job. As I hear more and more about his potential coordinators, I, I, it reinforces that opinion. Uh, like I've said, you know, it's one of those things where you can, you can look at it both ways. You know, you, you can look at it and say, well, the last f- football coach with no head coaching experience Carolina hired was Brad Scott. And that didn't work out well. Well, Brad Scott also had spent his entire career at a place like Florida state, you know, getting his, you know, getting praised uh, for Bobby Bowden's work. Um, and Brad, you know, Brad had the right idea about some things, just toward the end, you know, the stubbornness with the D coordinator and then, you know, the, the most ridiculous plan on offense for, for his final year I've ever heard in my life. Uh, you know, that's one of those things you yell, no, that's not an answer. Um, cost him his job. Uh, you know, he recruited relatively well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that's different than a guy like Shane Beamer, who's actually been at South Carolina. I also think the game's different. I mean, you know, I think that when you look around football in general, you know, you have some of these NFL guys that just kind of boom, 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 and they're like 32 years old and they're running an NFL team. Now, you know, I think that's a little bit different story because you're dealing with professionals and, and things like that. But I think these days, too, you know, you're dealing with a different generation you know, of folks, the generation Z, you know, a good buddy of mine said they're problem solvers, you know, they're problem solvers and and they don't respond well to what maybe folks my age responded to when we were kids. So you got to know how to reach them and motivate them. Uh, And so I think Shane Beamer, who is my age, but is younger and kind of in tune and has always, you know, had a good knack for, you know, being, in tune with what the kids want, so to speak. I think that's something to to be said right there. Uh, But you also can look at it like South Carolina's never made a hire like this because, you know, the history of the program is let's all go get somebody that's done something somewhere else. Um, And the problem is, is that, you know, it's worked when the few times it has worked you know, throughout the history, um, you know, Spurrier, Holtz worked, um, you know, all that. But I'll throw you back to Joe Morrison. You know, I don't think anybody's sitting there knocking the, the door down to, to, to hire the, the uh, New Mexico coach who was at Chattanooga for five years and never been a coordinator, right? So, uh, you know, I, and I think you look at that hire, that was probably the most Carolina hire. You know, that was a guy that was coming from a mid-major 
kind of familiar with the landscape in the Southeast. And he came and put his stamp on the program. And, and really what he did at Carolina has lingered through the years, you know, and he wasn't, you know, wasn't a big, big old winner. You know, I think he had three winning seasons and six before he passed away, but, but he's beloved because you know what, you know, when you look at Joe Morrison, his claim to fame was head coach at the university of South Carolina, uh, in addition to his playing career with the New York giants. And so I think that, um, you know, I, I think that there is precedent for Carolina going its own way with a coaching hire, um, you know, and, and getting out of the, the, the box, so to speak. You know, that's the one hire you can point to uh, that's like that, you know, kind of a, oh, this is going to be our guy. Um, and it was somewhat of a success, you know, ended poorly, but somewhat of a success. So, you know, I, I, I don't know that, you know, you can point to Brad Scott, no head coaching experience all you want, but you can also say that was a a higher than a lot of schools would have made because it's the offensive coordinator off the national champions and the, the fast break offense and all that. I mean, you know, heck yeah, go do that. That's an obvious thing. Shane Beamer's not an obvious choice um, for the job. And and like I said, we're in a different time of football. But anyway, wanted to mention the, the networking thing. Uh, I think that's that's – Something that if you're on the fence about Beamer or, or you're not sold on it or you're never going to be sold, uh, you know, this networking kind of deal is also a good way to go recruiting, you know, because sometimes you got to network uh, and, and reach the people around a prospect in addition to the prospect themselves, namely family members and coaches and, you know, things like that. Um I say all that to say this, don't discount Billy. We hadn't heard much about Billy Napier lately, but, you know, the poor guy got COVID. Uh, and so he's, he's been quarantining and, and probably, uh, you know, that that's something to kind of look, that's kind of, I guess, not pump the brakes on his candidacy, but, you know, that's something obviously you got to work around when you're, you know, maybe trying to set up meetings or whatever. But But don't discount him. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's been a strong contender for this job from the beginning. Uh, he's obviously got big ties to the state, to the recruiting footprint. He's well-liked. Um, you know, don't think just because people aren't talking about him as much that he's somehow not in the mix because I believe that uh, I believe that he is. Uh, and, and I probably would even say that, you know, as much of a challenge as Beamer has mounted, you know, I, I think Napier's still right there. Uh, and quite frankly, if you're talking about hiring Dave Clawson or Neil Brown, I would take Billy Napier over both of those guys because uh, I think he too can fit into like what, you know, the South Carolina coach. Um, you know, probably not as South Carolina specific as Shane Beamer, but still, you know, I, I, I think Napier could be a guy that, that, you know, is a really, really special, special coach. Oh, man. Alabama is um, just reporting that Nick Saban's tested positive for COVID and will not coach this weekend in the Iron Bowl. Wow. That's not good. Um, and so uh, we'll see kind of what happens with that. This COVID thing, man, these numbers and goodness gracious. I just hope I don't get it. Uh, so anyway, don't discount Billy Napier uh, in, in this whole search either. Don't 
don't think just because there's new names popping up that uh, that, that this means that they've moved on from him at all. Uh, and, and don't think just because everybody's discussing different candidates that South Carolina has moved on from Billy Napier at all. Uh, that's just a, a PSA for you folks out there. That That's not, you know, they've not eliminated him. I do think you can move Satterfield down a little bit on the momentum list. After what I heard yesterday about Tony Elliott, you can probably move him down a little bit or a lot on the list. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, and another warning, kind of another PSA before we get to mailbag about these searches. Um, and because I've done this, you know, for a while and, and, and I've, I've, you know, handled, you know, running coaching searches on, on for networks and different sites and not just, it's not this, not just the Gamecocks because the Gamecocks haven't had very many. Be very, very careful about what you read. And I'm careful because I don't report it. I, I just don't. I don't think it's important uh, data or information when it comes to interviews. Interview Number one, interview can mean a lot of different things. You know, we've talked to – see, okay, I'll give you an example. We've talked to X about the job, Coach X. Well, <laughs> that, that doesn't necessarily mean – and I got some info about Chadwell today like this. This doesn't necessarily mean Ray Tanner picked up the phone and called Jamie Chadwell or Coach X. We'll, we'll give him Coach X. And says, hey, hey, I want to talk to you about coming to South Carolina. That's not how it works. So much of this goes through intermediaries um, because you want plausible deniability because, you know, especially if you're a sitting head coach, you, you've got, you know, a team to, to coach for, a, a, uh, a you got recruiting to do, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, so much of that is, you know, Coastal's in the midst, maybe trying to get into a New Year's Six Bowl win a conference championship, so is Louisiana. You know, you, you don't want any distractions. Number two, with sit-down interviews, you don't want to be sitting there, uh, you know, in the lobby uh, at the Hilton in Mobile, Alabama, uh, and that, that information somehow gets out, or, you know, you, you know, a, a resourceful reporter – like a like a not a reporter like me I guess I am resourceful but you know some of these guys that are in the the traditional media you know they put two and two together they know like in other words they're told exactly you know Ray Tanner's meeting with coach X uh it's in Mobile that's all I know on this date and that date turns out right you know so some folks would you know go through the ho- go to every call every hotel and mobile and then see you know and i just don't think that kind of scoop is that important you know because the interviews take place um and so number two and if i knew that i would probably say they met on this day at an undisclosed location but what what's the point of you know ruining a coaching search to say hey they're talking nanana boo boo stick your head and doo doo that's ridiculous that's not journalism so so that's why and and that's not a shot at anybody that covers South Carolina. That's just in general the media. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think the sports. I don't think that's their job to go ah, ruin an interview. Oh, are you doing this? Um, and so what you get is a lot of misinformation 
on specific dates, not necessarily that there's going to be an interview, not necessarily that it's face to face or through zoom. Now you just get a load of misses in terms of timeline. Oh, this has already happened. This is going to happen on Thursday because sometimes you get that info, that nugget and somebody says Thursday and it's really like Saturday. I've seen it time and time and time again. So I don't report that. I, I just don't. Somebody tells me something, some interviews taking place on Sunday. I know I'd put it out there. And the first thing you know is like, you know, Ray Tanner's sitting on his recliner at his house and just sent me a picture of it, you know, and, and it's just not going to be true. And I just don't think it's that important of information. So, you know, just be careful um, when you're doing that, number one. And then number two, when, when you when you don't put – this coach interviewed in you know, the, the, the already interviewed box and the to be interviewed box. These things go a lot different, a lot different than your normal job searches. I mean, you're talking about a, a job search that's, you know, going to pay between 2.5 and $5 million a year. That's big money. You know, there, there's so much more that goes into it. And it's so, you know, it's such a situation where, you know, the least little thing could cause the entire process to break down. You know, so so there's a motivation, you know, for misinformation out there as far as who's interviewed and who's not. And I don't think you're going to get anything accurate about who interviewed, um, you know, in terms of a list. Here are the guys we considered. Um, I don't even think you're going to get a number of formal of who interviewed formally. Um, maybe you'll get it at the press conference when the coach is announced. And then it'll just be a number and – you know, you guys and all of us can figure out who exactly it was. But, you know, you also want to avoid uh, what happened last time when you've made a decision and you're Ray Tanner and then all of a sudden Willie Taggart's interviewing and Greg Shiano's interviewing and Troy Calhoun's interviewing and Rich Rodriguez says he turns you down. Um, yeah, you know, Rich Rodriguez did interview, but he was never offered the job. And so – you know, you want to avoid that situation, too, when you're talking about interview process. Interviews do not necessarily indicate pecking order at all. Um, and in person now, in, in the COVID time, you know, th that means even less because, you know, quite frankly, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, Billy Napier has COVID. Heck, Nick Saban has COVID, we just saw. So anyway, that, that's a little PSA on that. PS, all right, so so we've got some PSA to, A's today. Number one, don't discount Napier. Number two, you know, the the when and where of the interview is not important information, and it's a lot of misinformation and misdirection. You know, therefore, don't focus on that. PSA number three, don't sit there when you have your your list at home and put you know column A interviewed, column B interviewed because the definition of interview when you're talking about all this is very, very broad. And quite frankly, it's not important. You know, you know, do, do you think Steve Spurrier sat down and interviewed for this job? You know, like, well, Steve, let's see your, I see your resume is very impressive. Um, well, let's see, Steve, what, what, what kind of uniforms would you know? No, that, that was a recruitment. Now th this is different. You know, obviously there's no Steve Spurrier candidate out there, but you know, the, the, so, you know, I mean, it, it's not, it's not like a normal job search, you know, and, and all that. So, all right. So we'll see, we'll see how the, the coaching search goes. I, I honestly don't expect anything to break this weekend, 
But uh, unlike last weekend where I kicked back and watched some football, I'm going to be kicking back and watching some football, but I'm going to also have, you know, some podcasting and, and, and glued to the TV or the, the computer screen and all that. One eye on the big spur and certainly on my phone this Thanksgiving weekend because I, th- I think that, you know, when I headed into this week, I thought, well, it'll probably be a slow news week, and it just wasn't. And, and so that's that, you know, I, and one, one more thing about it, please. When there's a new name reported again, you please, please consider this and, and, and understand that that's not necessarily that they've moved on from previous candidates. I think I said that earlier, you know, just because Dave Clawson, you know, we found out he's a guy that may be on that list of 25 to 30 that, could have some interest in the job that's getting some buzz in the coaching community. That's a nice news nugget, you know, because when you look back, you know, and you're judging this hire, you, you could say, well, here were the guys that were interested in the job. You know, I, I look back on the Lou Holtz hire. I think Joe Tiller and Frank Beamer and Jim Haslett were the guys, you know, that were interested in the job in addition to Lou Holtz. Uh, I think that when Spurrier was hired, seems like maybe George O'Leary was the other guy. Um, maybe not. But uh, the Spurrier thing was more of a done deal than Lou because Lou turned it down a couple times. Uh, Spurrier just took it. There was a little bit of hesitation or, or anxious moments when, you know, Florida came open when Zook was fired. But that's uh, – that's it. So, you know, you, you sort of look at it and that's, um, that's kind of how coaching searches go. So, so just enjoy it, you know, ah, that's an interesting, give your comment about different candidates. I know some of you will, if you're on the big spur, but you know, don't, don't freak out. And, and, I, and I don't think Ray Tanner at this point deserves any criticism at all, you know, with how he's handled this so far, you know, he knows it's a big hire and we haven't seen the, parade of you know token interviews in the national media to where it looks like Tanner doesn't know what he's doing which that was completely unfair the optics were bad Tanner already hired Muschamp so uh you know I think I think it'll be fine you know just don't freak out every time there's a name uh you know like I put Kevin Wilson out earlier uh, three or four coaches have heard he's trying to get in the mix or you know, there was some buzz about him and, you know, come to find out it maybe as an offensive coordinator, maybe not, uh, you know, and, and, and come to find out he was just inquiring about the job, you know. Uh, and so that's not a big deal. I, I don't think Kevin Wilson's getting hired at South Carolina. You know, I don't think South Carolina can hire a guy that was 26 and 47 at Indiana you know, especially considering what the guy at Indiana is doing right now. And that guy, that guy may be the best coach in the country. I, I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, that's the coaching search update for today. It's time for the mailbag. Obviously, if you want to get in the mailbag, there are two ways to get in the mailbag. First of all, tweet to. Um, all right, mailbag. Tweet at the Big Spur pod. And also, if you want email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com so all right here we go ray finkel again 
you know, reading, reading comprehension, or I guess listening comprehension is your friend. Uh, this guy continues to talk about a puff piece on Beamer. Uh, I merely explained why he was in the mix. He is in the mix. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm sorry you don't like it, but live with it. It's my job to explain why uh, he's in the mix. Uh, I also explained Billy Napier, quite frankly, the other day. Um, I think Hugh Freeze is pretty much self-explanatory, don't you? And I just kind of went into depth on Dave Clawson and Scott Satterfield. So once again, Ray Finkel, you know, just like your hot takes on Frank Martin, this is garbage. Please don't tweet at me ever again unless you have something intelligent to say. All right, Sincerely, that's a great Twitter name, says, Hey, JC, hopefully I'm using the right method for submitting a question to the podcast. I'm curious if you have any idea if Muschamp had the opportunity to coach out the season. I think he did at Florida, but I could be wrong. Thanks for everything you do. Yeah, uh, the answer to that is no. Um, and I'm not 100% whose decision it was, whether you know they told him they were going to go the interim route or he said, hey, I'm done. Uh, from what I'm told, you know, I would lean towards, they said, hey, you're done. Um, and that he did not have that option. But uh, that's uh, that's what I've told. So I would lean toward that. But I, I'm not 100%. So, I'd, hey, I, you know, that's why I haven't put it out on the site or anything like that. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see kind of, you know, see kind of what happens. So anyway, I'm recording this as the site is down 24-7. And, I mean, I, I swear to God, we hadn't been down in – a year and, and right here in the midst of a coaching search day before Thanksgiving. Thanks computer gods. <laughs> All right. So inside the game at gmail.com. And we're going to start off with my man Cartwright asking about the Missouri game. He says, obviously nobody likes a loss. However, did you feel what I felt the second half? You know, I don't know about feelings. Uh, I think there was some excitement with the team though, that was noticeable. Um, Doty gave us hope. He gave excitement. I think part of that's because he's an exciting player. I think part of it's because people, you know, are, you know, unrealistically hard on Colin Hill at times. Uh, and when Colin Hill's struggling, it, it's really, it, it's struggle. Cause he, he's, he's a limited guy athletically. And so you're just sitting there going like, good Lord, this is like some of those NFL quarterbacks when, when, when they struggle on Sundays and it's not exciting. With Doty, you know, he could get sacked and it'd be third and 15. Next thing you know, he's running for 20 yards. So that's exciting. I agree. He gave excitement. I'm 100% in favor of Luke Doty playing for the rest of the year. There was something in the air in Columbia I haven't felt in a long time. You're feeling hope. You're feeling hope because the must-champ era is over, and you're feeling hope because you got a good freshman quarterback that plays an exciting brand of ball. Uh, I get it. Uh, Mike Morgan was was calling the game and said that. Every snap was like Christmas as you ascend down the stairs about to see something magical. Are you getting poetic on me, Cartwright? (laughs) I know this is an overly dramatic statement, but it reminded me of Shaw. Similar type of guy for sure. It reminded me of watching Vic having no clue what you're about to see every snap. Yeah, I I can see that. Let's me and Michael Vic. Certainly was a special player. Each play could result in an awesome play. 
it was a loss, but much more hope and excitement for the future than I've felt in a long time. Go Cox. I do think there was, I think that was, I think Doty was positive. I think the way the defensive players responded were positive. I'm, I was excited about Cam Smith. Who's, you know, taking an unfair beating from fans because, you know, he's a young player and was struggling. You know, I was excited for that guy. Enig Barre coming in and getting another second. He's leading the SEC in sacks quietly. You know, I, I was I was excited for those guys, you know, and, and it sounds weird to say in a 17-10 loss to Missouri at home, but um, I think everybody's just kind of grasping for hope and looking for the future, and, and the future was was on display. And, you know, I you know, will Luke Doty be the quarterback next year? I, I sort of think so. And then if you if you get Gunner Stockton in behind him, you you got a lot of you got a lot of exciting plays in the future, I, I think, at South Carolina from that position. Um, Jeremy, multiple things. Love the podcast and your takes on everything with the Gamecock football. So I have a few questions for you. Hypothetical question. Could the next coach lure Chad well away from Coastal to BOC? In terms of money, he could probably get a hell of a pay increase and get his feet wet with SEC recruiting, also make a name for himself if he could produce. Look, I don't think that's a terrible idea. And there's precedent, but, you know, he came from Charleston Southern as head coach to Coastal as OC but he knew he was getting the job from Moglia. Um, you know, so, so I don't, I don't know, you know, and it, he makes three seventy five at coastal, you know, how high is coastal going to be able to go to keep him from going? You know, can he get to five, you know, South Carolina pays Bobo 1.2. So obviously the money could, could, could help, you know, obviously um, sometimes though, if you walk into a situation and, you know, right now he's a hot name. Uh, I can tell you, you know, the 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 Jimmy Sextons of the world, uh, you know, the agents and all are very high on him as a bright future and a star. Um, you know, so so if you go into an OC situation and, you know, what if you have, you know, five offensive linemen hurt in a year uh, and your offense goes nowhere, especially in the SEC, uh, where, you know, a lot of times it is going to be about personnel blending with scheme. Uh, and then you're not that hot name anymore, and you get fired, and then your career is set back. But I understand the thought behind that because you see what he's making, uh, and you, you kind of look at that, and then you can kind of see, well, he's done it before, uh, and I think that would be tragic. Now, if, if somebody – like let's say Shane Beamer got the job and hired Chadwell as his OC, slam dunk in my opinion. Uh, but I'm telling you why he probably would be hesitant to do that, especially right now when his stock as a head coach is going up. With the NCAA making this, this is a second question from Jeremy. With the NCAA making the decision about the one-time transfer, do you think any wide receiver, tight end, DBs that got away, uh, and maybe a new staff could convince to transfer in? I don't know enough about any names right now. I mean, you know, schools can't. I mean, they can't just call up a guy that this fourth string at Ohio state and say, Hey, you want to come to South Carolina? Uh, that, that's probably not going to happen. I do think it opens it up for wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, these are the school that was, would be interested in, but you know, I, I think when you look at the, the roster, you know, depending on what the new coach does at the tight end position, you know, if it's still Bobo, they have a big need, I think for maybe one or two attached tight ends like Nick Muse. Um, 
I, I definitely, I definitely see that as a need. Uh, if it's not, then they move to the, you know, let's say Garrett Riley, Lincoln's brother, gets the OC uh, under Beamer, and this is a Beamer staff deal um, because that's that's the candidate. Raymond Finkel, that I know the most about potential staff. I mean, it could be Napier, too. Um, you know, they've got, you know, but, but, but just specifically, you know, to answer the question here, uh, Oklahoma uses H-backs, tight end type guys. So you've got Kevion Mullins, Jaheim Bell. You know, we'll see if Trey Kenyon does anything. Uh, Keyshawn Toady. Uh, and, you know, who knows what will happen with Eric Shaw. My guess is he ends up on defense. Um. Number three, my final question and concern is about Shane Beamer. Uh, thinking about Southern Cal's troubles with getting back to where they once were, they continue to hire coaches from the Pete Carroll tree that weren't proven. You know, I, Lane, Lane Kiffin and Steve, Steve Sarkeesian, were they proven? I don't know. I mean, I didn't think they should. I mean, I, you know, Kiffin I kind of got because – Kiffin had breathed such a big amount of life into Tennessee in one year, recruiting-wise, the staff he got, that I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, Tennessee went seven and six, but they had they had it go. I mean, if Lane Kiffin had stayed at Tennessee, I don't know that Tennessee would have ever had the problems they did. Um, so, so Kiffin to me made sense. Kiffin, I don't think – was Kiffin ready for that job? I don't know. Was he ready for the Oakland Raiders job when they hired him? I don't know. I think he's a different coach now. Um, probably a little more laid back, you know, and, and kind of nonchalant, and, and I think that works. I, I, mean, I think he may be the closest, maybe even personality. Mean, I, I don't know. Are Lane Kiffin and Steve Spurrier similar personalities? In a way, you know. <laughs> uh, and now he's coaching a little like Spurrier. Um, you know, but Sarkeesian had been at Washington for five years. Again, I, I don't, I don't think they should have hired Sarkeesian. I, I, I've always thought once, once, once Kiffin didn't work out at Southern Cal, go get. I mean, man, they could have. Don't, don't you think Kevin? They, they wish they would have hired Kevin Sumlin for A and M. Don't you think Kevin Sumlin wishes he'd have gone, taken that job? I don't know who turned down who, um, or a James Franklin or, or whoever. You know, I, I and and I think you hit the nail on the head. This is the school that you know continued to go to the well with these assistants that that didn't work out. Now Sark didn't get fired for losing; he got fired for drinking. Um, and then Clay Helton obviously wasn't proven. There's a coach that was never a coordinator. I don't think. I don't think Clay Helton was a coordinator. So. Uh, you know, and, and he's hanging on. He's like the Gus Malzahn of the Pac-12. Wins just enough to avoid getting fired. And and now I think Urban Meyer's going to go to Texas, so there goes that dream <laughs> if you're the Trojans. But, but yeah, I, I don't I, – and, look, I look back on that Spurrier era, right? And, look, South – and keep in mind, South Carolina did not do that. They didn't promote Sean Elliott, you know. They, they didn't go, you know – Obviously, they didn't promote G.A. Mangus. I, I think really had either one of those two guys gotten the job, things would probably have been better. It would probably have been rougher at the beginning, and then things would have probably gotten a lot better. I mean, we wouldn't see the downward trend in year four and five. Uh, and I wish 
you know, I wish GA had gotten a shot at it. GA has actually been a head coach and won a ton of games at the Division Three level. Um, and Sean, I think, you know, people don't understand his record at Georgia State isn't all that great, but people don't understand what kind of job that is and, and what kind of kind of ground up type of situation that is over there. But keep in mind, Carolina didn't stick with the Spurrier coaching tree. He, he they they went out and had five, four years and some change under Will Muschamp. Uh, should it be a major concern that we're taking thinking about a guy that is unproven based on the idea he could get it back the way the Spurrier had it? In my opinion, that's where the influx of positive momentum lies within the fan base. Well, I, I, all right. So I'll say this, and this is this is an interesting thing, Jeremy, and, and I think you got to. You know, people have to think about it a little bit. It's not going to ever be like it was under Spurrier because Spurrier's not coming back to coach. And, you know, at Florida, when Urban Meyer was there winning national championships and had it rolling, it wasn't like it was under Spurrier. You know, Spurrier <laughs> is, is Spurrier. I mean, you know, you, you're going to – those days are not coming back. You know, you're not going to get the head ball coach there needling people. I mean, he's a national treasure. Um, the, the, the vibe just isn't going to be the same. I think what you want, though, is you look at that point as the most successful period of the program, and the re, you, want, you want those results, okay? You want those results. You know, I think Carolina fans are – you know, one of the great things about the Spurrier era with Carolina folks, it wasn't necessarily that – they walked in the stadium expecting to win every single game. But, you know, for the first time in my lifetime, the fan base could walk into the stadium every single game thinking they had a chance to win. And it's it, that's exciting and fun. You know, you're going to lose games. Everybody does. You're in the SEC. Let's be realistic. But it's a lot of fun to waltz in the stadium knowing every single time out, you know, you've got a shot this could happen and it not be just crazy fantasy land thinking. And that that's the big thing that eroded over time because, you know, I, I think it was one thing to feel that way in Muschamp's first year. Um, but, but then you kind of look back on it and the second year, boy, that team had some pretty good talent, a little bit young, but pretty good talent. And then things just eroded, and it ended up being like you walked in the stadium. I mean, the, the sad, the saddest game under Muschamp, the, the saddest one, I thought was the Clemson Carolina game last year, twenty nineteen, because South Carolina's kids played really hard and didn't play bad. You know, I thought the twenty seventeen loss to Clemson, they played bad. Obviously, twenty sixteen, they were completely overwhelmed. You know, twenty eighteen. The offense obviously was scoring points, um, and then they couldn't stop anybody. 2019, you know, players played hard. They just There was just no chance. Clemson people knew it. Carolina people knew it. There was no chance. Where's the excitement and the rivalry? You know, the highlight of the game was a goal line stand and a flea flicker for Carolina, and, and Clemson just methodically – you know, oh, let's run a little bit. Now we're going to chunk it down the field to T. Higgins. That was the saddest game. And, and at that, you know, I think before that point, but at that point you sit there and go, you know, Gamecock fans aren't walking in the stadium thinking they have a chance to win every game anymore. There's sometimes where you're just overmatched. 
And that hadn't happened in a long, long time. Even under Lou Holtz, people, you know, people had that, that feeling. Uh, and, and so that's what you got to recreate. Um, and it's not about a coach necessarily that, that that's this wizard that inspires you. I know that's helpful. It's just about a standard that the program sets, you know, that, Hey, okay. You know, it's, it's been a while since we've walked into a game thinking we couldn't win. Um, and that's going to take time to get back. So, so that, that's the idea about Beamer is, you know, he's not going to recreate what Spurrier did. It's, it's going to be a lot different, you know, different than what Muschamp did and Spurrier uh, if he gets the job. Um, but that's that, that that's what you want to do. You don't necessarily you're, – you're never going back to the head ball coach era. Uh, what you want to do is be like, you know, Florida was when, you know, Urban Meyer got that program back to where he had it, you know, after the Ron Zook years. Um, so that, that's kind of what you want to do. Jeremy, excellent questions. Excellent questions. Delma says, good afternoon, JC. As an avid and rabid Gamecocks fan, I have a quick question for you. If we're switching to Doty as QB1, wouldn't it be wise to switch Dak Joyner back to quarterback as the primary backup? He go, yeah. Um, that would move what allows us to keep running the offense. Is it currently being utilized if, God forbid, something happens to Doty and needs some time off? If not, we'll be in the same position we were before the switch. Thank you for your time. Uh, if this were game two, maybe, but there's only two games left. Uh, so I don't I don't see him doing that. And Joyner's also been hurt. Uh, I don't know what they need to do with Decarion. I, I you know I don't almost and and look this, this is where you know Bobo or whoever the new offensive coordinator is may have to get creative. You know there's some offensive systems that have what you call ponies, which are kind of quarterback or running back wide receiver hybrid guys. Um. And, uh, you know, Caleb McDowell, who's coming in, could do stuff like that. I mean, Chris Rainey, Jeff Demps, when they were at Florida, examples of this. Uh, so, so, so maybe they need to get him the ball from scrimmage. I mean, he, he just – with kind of the, the you, you know, just playing receiver just hadn't, hadn't worked out. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe the light will come on there. But uh, if it were game two and they were going to that, absolutely, you know. But uh, a lot of what Doty's doing, though, man, is improvised. It's not called plays. They call a play. Doty's got half the field. Make a read. If not, take off. You know, that's the deal. So, um, there we go with that. My phone is blowing up about the site being down. This is just a great time. It's a great time. Justin says – JC, there's been a lot of interest in Chadwell as a candidate, deservedly so. As a resident of Myrtle Beach, I've spent a lot of time watching coastal football, especially this year. I love his offensive system, and I'm curious to its potential in a stronger conference. With that said, am I off base when I feel that hiring Chadwell will be similar to the Darren Horn hire? Ooh. <laughs> well, Darren Horn had an offensive style of play that he liked. Uh, what similarities and what differences do you see in those two? And what differentiates Chadwell to believe he'd have more success at Carolina? I personally feel that I'd like to see Chadwell have more sustained success at Coastal before pursuing him. And yes, I'm aware it'll be too late by then. Thanks as always, and go Cox, Justin. Um, here's the difference: Darren Horn was a bad hire because nobody bothered to kind of dig in. Um, you, you look; he did have the pedigree of being an assistant under Tom Crean. 
I think when they went to the final four, but Western Kentucky is a really, really good mid-major job. I mean, the, the Hilltoppers win, and he wasn't winning there. I mean, he uh, he he was struggling. I don't. I think he may have made the NIT one year, and then in year five, and that's his alma mater too. They caught lightning in a bottle, and they won. Gosh, I think it was the Sun Belt, and um, or the Atlantic Sun. I don't know Sun, but they won the conference tournament finally, first time in five years. And then they had a very favorable NCAA tournament. They got they, they now Western Kentucky did get to the Sweet Sixteen, but it it wasn't like you know they beat you know like South Carolina. The Gamecocks beat Marquette. They beat uh, Duke. They beat Baylor. They beat Florida, and played. And they got finally got bounced by Gonzaga. So, um, you know, I just don't. You know, it wasn't the same. So here's what Horn did. This was, this was oh eight, uh, and the next year, whoever took over for Horn uh, ended up. Going to the tournament and beating Illinois, uh, so Drake had Drake, who was another mid major, happened to be a five seed that year, and Western Kentucky hit a miracle shot, beat him one hundred one ninety nine in overtime. So then they go, and in in the four thirteen game, uh, they had uh, San Diego, the Toreros had pulled an upset, so Western beat them by nine. So that's they beat two mid majors, and they got thumped by UCLA. It was 10 points was the final score, but it was – I remember watching that. It wasn't all that great. Um, and they got bounced, you know. And, and this is a school that from the 2001, 2002, 2003, before Horn got there, was going to the tournament religiously. In the 90s, they were very good. Um, they've been to a Final Four at Western Kentucky. So, so compared to the history of that program uh, and then his actual NCAA tournament run – you know, what really was he doing that makes you think he can win at South Carolina, which is a tough job? I don't know what they were thinking. You know, you want to hire a coach on the cheap. I think there are plenty of cheaper coaches or cheap coaches out there that may have done a better job. So I, I, did, I don't think Eric Hyman did a good job researching this. Uh, so that's Darren Horn. Compared to Chadwell, Chadwell's won at North Greenville. He's won at Charleston Southern. He's winning at Coastal Carolina. Those aren't easy jobs, especially North Greenville and Charleston Southern. I mean, you know, and so when you got a track record like that where, you know, Darren Horn was at a cushy mid-major job in Western Kentucky in men's basketball, Jamie Chadwell's had crappy jobs. (laughs) Now, Coastal is an up-and-comer, but they haven't had success like this either. I mean, you know, I, I think that's the difference between the two. Now, I'm with you. Because I, I think it takes more than play calling in a good offensive system, uh, kind of experimental offensive system, uh, to, to to go out there and, and and get the job done at the SEC level. But if they hire Jamie Chadwell, I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to be against the hire uh, because he two, checks two very important boxes. Number one is can you do more with less? Absolutely. And number two, are you going to be dynamic on offense? And that's absolutely. You know, he just have to have a good staff around him. But um, there's conflicting reports as to whether or not Chadwell's talked to them about the job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we'll see. I, I still wouldn't call him likely at this time, but you can't – honestly, you can't rule him out either. 
he keeps going up and down the board momentum wise. Justin, feel free to email me anytime and hold it down down there in Myrtle Beach. That's where my mom's from. Mitchell, coaching search and recruiting factors. Mitchell says, looking back at Muschamp's staff, he had a lot of guys that had coached at Blue Blood schools and had feathers in their caps there. I think South Carolina is a special job that we don't have a deep history of having top five to 10 recruiting classes littered with four and five stars. I think recruiting here might be about having a staff that has a mix of important factors. I I agree with you there completely. You, you do have to have a mix of important factors. And I think that's the, if there's one thing I'm going to sit here and absolutely smack myself in the face about with Muschamp, uh, and I wish I could go back in time and tell myself this, is that I missed the more with less. Muschamp's been at Auburn twice. He's been at Florida as the head coach. He's been at LSU. He's been at Texas. Those schools are in in a different stratosphere uh, in terms of what you have to do to be successful than than South Carolina. That doesn't mean South Carolina's never going to be able to beat any of those teams because that's that people, people get that confused all the time. You just have to take a different approach. Uh, So Mitchell's got some bullet points here. He says, High school coaches are gatekeepers, so someone who has coached at a lower level like high school, like Bentley, or a former coach at Furman, ECU, Coastal, SC State, but recruits the same footprint, can evaluate talent and and coach. They could be more valuable to the Gamecocks than a former Blue Blood. Who got more talent to South Carolina? Brian McClendon, a former National Recruiter of the Year, or Bobby Bentley, who was in his first Power 5 assistant coaching job? Trivia. It's Bobby Bentley by about three miles. (laughs) <laughs> um, a coach that has never had the option of signing a four or five star, but has to find important traits and players that would fit their system and might have a more keen eye for talent once they move up a level. Yeah, those guys are really good. When I say more with less, this is kind of what I'm talking about. And you think about this too, Bobby Bentley, you know, he got Jaheim Bell, who I think is going to be a really good player. Uh, obviously, they're doing something right down at Florida recruiting offensive players. And this kid was committed to Florida for a long time. Um, they flipped him. So that's one. He, he got Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick. Those guys are, last I checked, are doing pretty well. You know, I hate that Kevion Mullins got hurt because I think he was about to break out. But, you know, he's doing well. Um, but there's a long list of guys Bobby Bentley brought to South Carolina um, at all positions, not just the ones he coached. And then you compare it to a, a McClendon and, you know, and I'm not trying to get on Lance Thompson. I think his issues with recruiting were different than Brian McClendon's, but you got two former national recruiters of the year and Lance Thompson and Brian McClendon. Well, well, who who brought in more players that made an impact? Bentley more than those two combined. So I agree with that completely. Uh, and look, I'm going to say this. Don't expect – on a Shane Beamer staff, Billy Napier staff, whoever, for there to be like all these names with these fancy resumes that have coached these big-time places. Just don't expect that. You know, like when you're talking about a home run hire for either one of these guys, uh, assistant coach-wise, you're talking about like the uh, the D coordinator at Iowa State who is a former head coach at Youngstown, <laughs> you know, who, who nobody's probably ever heard of, but, but go look at the results. That, that's what you need. Uh, at South Carolina, uh, in my opinion. Um, number two is having coaches that either played or coached in the NFL d- appeals directly to recruits. The I did it, and I can get you there talk, is powerful and effective, as well as I've coached at that level and know what you need to do to get there. Um, yeah, and I, 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 you know, that's why a guy like Mike Peterson uh, and Rod Wilson 
you know, those guys both have a shot to stick because they've played in, you know, Peterson's played a long time and um, obviously Rod Wilson's coach. So, yeah, I, I'm with you there too. Those guys are helpful. Number three is former Gamecock players. I think it's powerful to sit in the living room and share your experience as a former player. I, obviously, Rod Wilson, Connor Shaw, uh, any of the former guys you can get back on staff. Uh, are these relevant boxes to check for a staff member? What would you add to it? Uh, I think home run is all of, you know, two of three like Des Kitchings or three of three like Rod Wilson. Yeah, um, you know, you just have to see. Um, you know, I, I think Des Kitchings is like the type of guy, uh, and honestly, had Steve Spurrier hired him over Everett Sands, we may still be in the Spurrier era. <laughs> I mean, you look at the guys Kitchings brought to North Carolina State, and then there was enough guys that South Carolina didn't even try on that they brought to NC State during that time that, honest to God, that 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 gets Steve Spurrier to eight, eight, seven, eight, nine wins. You know, maybe they don't go 11 and two, but that gets Spurrier to uh, – you know, I think that keeps them keeps them on. They're they're out back peach, uh, not peach bowl now with the playoff, but they're kind of, you know, out back, uh, Gator Bowl, Belk Bowl level, Music City Bowl level there for a while, and I think he'd have kept right on going. I uh, okay, if you send me your address, I will do a do more with less shirt for Christmas. I think it would be a home run at the Vicksburg Christmas party. Keep up the great work. All right, Mitch, I'm going to definitely do that, and and um. Maybe see if I can pay you to do another T-shirt for me. All right, Andy wraps it up here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast mailbag. JC, apparel related, do you have any recent intel on content of discussions uh, the previous two weeks? Uh, but uh, between Under Armour and South Carolina, it was reported Under Armour was discussing with Cincinnati and South Carolina contract related. Any chance South Carolina enters a new apparel deal shortly after the new football regime, start a new era and start fresh. Uh, any chance Don Staley can weigh in and convince Jordan brand because of women's basketball. Um, okay. So there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, South Carolina, if Under Armour still willing to pay them, South Carolina is not backing out of the deal. Um, and, and I, and I understand why right here with the revenue shortfall and all that, if things were hunky dory, um, and uh, the the ESP and Disney game of the week, you know, which is going to bring twenty to thirty more million per school into the coffers per year, if that was already rocking and rolling, um, and it wasn't a pandemic, you weren't looking at a forty eight million dollar loss, uh, you know, because this pandemic also affects like you know all those fancy new seats in the stadium. Those are money makers. Those are revenue producers, and you just can't, you know, you can't do it. Um, I, I would, I, I wouldn't mind if Tanner and, and the leadership said, "Well, hey, maybe we need to try to go uh, with Nike," especially if Don Staley could could get the Jordan brand because I think kids like that, and and kids nowadays because of that documentary that just so happened to be on during when we all were kind of locked in our houses. A lot of kids nowadays are, are no they they're they're back knowing what Jordan you know Jordan's just not a type of shoe they know who he is, um, you know, and so number one South Carolina's not actively trying to get out of it now if Under Armour does want to do that, um, 
and they get into some sort of settlement. I'm sure Under Armour would pay them some money and settle. Uh, and then the Gamecocks would probably go with Nike or Adidas. Uh, and, and I would, I would think that would probably come. It's not going to, they're not going to, Under Armour's not paying Carolina as much. Or, or I'm sorry, neither one of those companies is going to pay Carolina as much as, as Under Armour. You know, but the Nike apparel, you know, the kids do like it a lot better, I think, in particular in basketball. And, yeah, you have Dawn Staley called Nike, you know, because, yeah, you know, South Carolina, you know, girls buy basketball shoes too. Yeah, and, and, and women make up 55% of the population, you know. So I think that would be – that would be a great move if they could possibly make it. I just – unless Under Armour says, hey, man, we're, we need to get out of this deal. Let's Let's get out of it. I, you know, if they're still willing to pay Carolina, I don't see Carolina making a move right now just because of the finances. That is a great, great topic of conversation. And this is all the time we have for today. I got to jump on with JB and Goldwater inside the Gamecocks podcast, JC Sherbert. Folks, want to wish each and every one of you a happy Thanksgiving for listening. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the bigspur.com and this podcast. Uh, you know, I enjoy doing this. Uh, I'm very blessed that I get to do this for a living. Uh, And I'll be right back soon talking with each and every one of you. Signing off. Everybody have a good turkey day. We'll holla at you soon.